Hi, and welcome to a new episode of Global Tech Swamp. I am Alex, your host, and I'm here with the EU team. Hi, Anna. Hello. Hi, Morgan. Hello. Hello, guys. Um, all right, so in this episode, we will be talking about an important topic for many of our members, Standard Essential Patents, or SEPs for short. SEPs can be difficult to explain, and they raise important challenges for small businesses that rely on standardized technologies to innovate and build new solutions. During the policy discussion, we will dive into SEPs and how they impact your business with Alex Prenter, our resident SEP expert for the EU. But first, tech history and the latest headlines in Brussels. For tech history, we're traveling to the Baltics. In October 2005, Estonia became the first country in the world to offer nationwide internet voting in local elections. Back then, only point 1.9% of voters took the advantage of online voting. Um, the country extended um, its online voting to general parliamentary elections and became the world's first online national elections in 2007. The Estonian i-voting system allows any citizen to use their electronic ID cards which contains digital signatures or a mobile ID to vote. This is not really surprising because Estonia has always been a leader in e-governance and is probably the only country in the world where 99% of the public services are available online 24-7. As i-voting doesn't take place in a controlled environment like a police station, the authorities have to ensure that the vote has been freely cast. So voters can log on and vote as many times as they want during the pre-voting period. Since each vote cancels the last, a voter always has the option of changing his or her vote later on. There is a clear benefit in the Estonian i-voting system. On top of enabling citizens to vote at their convenience, no matter how far they are from polling station, i-voting generates time savings of over 11,000 working days per election. This amounts to more or less 500,000 euros in average wages. So the system has been embraced by the population and in its last elections in 2019, um, more than 40% of Estonians voted online and over the years, uh, the overall voter turnout has increased. Still, Estonia remains the only nation to vote this way and for the system to work, residents must trust the government with their electronic identity and personal information. So maybe some inspiration for elections all around the world. And that's all for Tech History. And now it's time for Brussels Bites. On September 30th, the European Commission presented its Digital Education Action Plan to boost the education of citizens in digital skills across the EU. This strategy is timely with COVID-19 accelerating the use of technology in education and training around the world. The approach is based on two pillars. The first one aims at fostering the development of a high-performing digital education ecosystem with more infrastructure, more connectivity, and more digital equipment. The second pillar seeks to enhance digital skills and competences such as the uptake of basic digital skills from an early age, with many of our members at the forefront of digital education, making the apps that help both children and adults to keep learning, we were pleased to provide our feedback to the Commission on this important topic recently. You can read more about the importance of digital education on our blog, and we'll link to that in the show notes. The European 
Court of Justice, the ECJ, ruled earlier this month that member states cannot collect mass mobile and internet data on citizens. And the EU's highest legal authority uh, indicated (laughs) that the surveillance practices of France Belgium and the UK failed to safeguard fundamental rights, since indiscriminate data retention is allowed under EU law only when the country faces a fierce threat to national security. This ruling raises some very important questions on the future of EU and UK data transfers. Given the court's ruling, it is likely that the UK will have to reform its law in order for the EU to approve its data protection standards once the country leaves the EU's legal system on January 1st, 2021, which is coming up very soon. And this um, ECJ decision comes at the same time as Facebook and the Belgian Data Protection Authority are facing off over who should police the company's privacy practices. In a recent public hearing, the ECJ heard arguments on whether the Belgian Data Protection Authority can pursue legal action against Facebook. Facebook is usually based in Ireland, so it is subject to the scrutiny of the Irish Data Protection Authority under the one-stop shop mechanism that was established by the General Data Protection Regulation. So a favorable ruling for the Belgian Data Protection Authority would be another landmark decision as it would allow the privacy watchdogs in the other 27 member states to legally challenge international tech companies like Google, Amazon, Apple, or Twitter in their own jurisdictions. France Parliament voted unanimously to provide child stars present on internet platforms such as YouTube with the same legal protection as child actors and models. France counts several dozen children who are online influencers and they earn up to 150,000 euros per month. Under these new rules, anyone, including the parents, um, who record uh, videos of that features minors under 16 years old for the purpose of monetization on video sharing platforms will need um, authorization from administrative authority or face fines up to 70 uh, 75,000 euros or even five years in prison. The law will apply to minors who appear on other larger platforms such as TikTok or Facebook's Instagram. And But while the platforms um, will need to inform their users on child protection rights, they will not be held liable for any content posted online. And that's all for Brussels Bites. And now for the policy discussion. One thing we haven't really covered yet on this podcast is the role of intellectual property, specifically standard essential patents, or SEPs, and why they are important for our members. SEPs can be difficult to explain, but it's one of our top priorities here at the App Association as our members rely on standardized technologies to innovate and build new solutions. To dig into this topic today and the potential issues our members may face, we have with us Alexander Prenter, our resident SEP expert for the EU. Hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, hi, Alex. So, SEPs are a very, very complex issue. Um, it might be useful to get a bit of background on what SEPs are about and how they function. Yeah, sure. So. If you take out your smartphone, there are about 100,000 patents involved in the creation of that smartphone. In fact, there are patents everywhere in all of our various innovations that we have all around us. Um, 
A standard essential pattern is a specific type of pattern. These are patterns which read on technical standards. Technical standards are, again, they're things that are all around us. Uh, we have standards for the size of pieces of paper, uh, the, the size of glasses, uh, plug sockets, everything is, uh, now has standards. Um, where these two things mix or interact is when you have standardized technology. And again, with the age of the internet, these are proliferating all around us. And where the most common standards are things that everybody I know will use, it's like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, uh, 3G, 4G, and 5G technologies. So um, yeah, that's standards in a nutshell. Okay, and so um, these standard essential patents are supposed to be licensed under what's called a FRAND commitment. Can you explain what those FRAND commitments are? Okay, yeah. So when standards are created, things like Wi-Fi, for example, basically a whole bunch of companies come together around a table and they decide what is the technology going to be. And they each contribute their various uh, patents to, to that project. Once that standard is set or finalized and released onto the market, they've basically decided what is the technology and all other technologies are foreclosed upon in terms of competition. Yeah. So everywhere you go, there's only going to be Wi-Fi. There's not going to be some other type of technology. Um, and this creates significant competition concerns from a policymaker's perspective. So what they mandate is that the organizations creating these standards, they must have an IPR policy. And that IPR policy must say that the patents must be licensed on fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory terms. And this is what is subject to a lot of controversy, is the what is the meaning of fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory? So why is this particularly important for SMEs? Well, the topic's really important for SMEs, um, particularly because, you know, I mentioned the smartphone before and the proliferation of internet technologies. What we're seeing, you know, in the next decade, in the next two decades even, is we're going to see billions and billions of devices that are going to implement these uh, cellular or internet uh, standardized technologies. We're going to see everything uh, from smart meters to automobiles, um, sensors, and every single home appliance, all these different things. They're going to have internet connectivity in one way or another. And so for all of the SMEs out there who are creating widgets for what we call the Internet of Things, they're going to be impacted by this because they might be on the hook for paying for these, these standard essential patents. Mm -hmm. When you have a patent holder who holds a large portfolio of standard essential patents, they have immense uh, power in the negotiations with the, uh, with the company on the other side of the table. Uh, especially if you, you know, if that company has no other choice but to have the Wi-Fi standard in their, in, included in their in their in their device, or the three G uh, standard, for example, 
There is no other choice. So you have to be at the negotiating table. And because of that, the SCP holder is able to demand very high royalty rates for these. Okay, so even though we have those FRAND commitments, devices are getting more and more complex. And that's why we're seeing a lot of court cases happening between SCP holders and the implementers, which are the SMEs often that we just talked about. Um, so what is at stake here? And can you explain some of those like big court cases in the EU right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so in the past, most of the SCP disputes that have gone on have been between giant corporations, usually the smartphone manufacturers. And they're in a particular segment of the economy where they are all familiar with with the technology. And they also, both sides have large portfolios. They're able to do things like cross-licensing. That creates patent peace, let's say. What we're going to see, though, in the future, and what we're seeing right now, is that there are many disputes between the automobile automobile, um, sector with SCP holders. And there is a massive imbalance now because, you know, a, a vehicle manufacturer, he doesn't know how telecommunications technology works. He just manufactures cars. So even for these uh, giant corporations like uh, Daimler or, or uh, BMW and Volkswagen, even they're facing significant troubles because they have to go into uh, licensing negotiations with these big companies and they don't uh, understand the technology. They're not in the best position to be negotiating. They think that their suppliers should be uh, licensing. Uh, these are companies like Continental or even you could give even further up the value chain to companies who actually manufacture chipsets. Uh, in, in the current disputes, it's companies like Huawei, uh, Broadcom, uh, Intel. These are the sorts of companies who who should be taking uh, licenses with the SCP holders so that they can create their their chipset, which gets implemented into a larger module. And that module is then eventually makes its way into an automobile. And then the automobile is driven by a consumer. Um, So yeah, we're seeing these, these large disputes between the automobile sector right now with SCP holders and we ex- we expect or certainly I expect to see these sorts of disputes uh, cascading into the wider economy so we'll probably see disputes in the medical devices uh, sector next um, the smart meter um, agriculture sector as well logistics industrial manufacturing these are the sort of sectors who are on the hook uh, next because they are all starting to implement uh, Wi-Fi or, uh, or cellular technologies in one way or another. So if you're an SME uh, who is operating in one of these sectors, you need to be, you should be, uh, you should put this issue on your, on your radar. You should be making sure that your supplier who is giving you the, the chipset or whatever uh, module that you're implementing into your device, you should be making sure that they are licensed. And if they're not, then perhaps that they uh, will indemnify you in, in the event that um, a patent holder comes running after you for, for some money. So 
Alex, you're talking about those disputes that are often between large companies and multinationals. And um, I guess it's completely different for our members that don't always have the resources to, to go into uh, those legal proceedings. So how do these court cases and their outcome impact the members? And um, yeah, how I would say how yeah. dangerous it is for them. Yeah, yeah, I understand your question. Um, look, it's next to impossible for a, a company, even a medium-sized company, to litigate these sorts of disputes because they're global disputes. Um, you know, you could be facing litigation in three or four different jurisdictions within the EU. You could add on to that even the United States and China because um, those are also very large markets. So in, invariably, SMEs will settle. They will sign the agreement, um, even, if it's, even if they know that it's unfair. So that's a particular challenge, um, is, to, you know, and be, is to find the SMEs who are facing these troubles and to, and to engage with them. Because if it doesn't go to the court, then there's no public scrutiny over it. Um, so when we see litigation, it's more of like a tip of the iceberg sorts of situation where um, the litigation that we see, that is a tip of, the, of a larger problem that's beneath the surface. What we're seeing in the court cases that are coming out of uh, the EU is a, a, a particularly disturbing trend whereby and this is I'm referring now to a particular case in the in the United Kingdom in the particular case between Unwired Planet and Huawei in that decision the Supreme Court basically mandated that a an SCP holder can force a potential licensee to sign a worldwide license meaning that uh, that uh, licensee will be paying for patents globally and it might be the case uh, you know for SMEs that they don't actually sell products worldwide most of our members uh, to my understanding they only sell in two three maybe four or five jurisdictions within the EU um, and to particular uh, usually the bigger ones like France and Germany the UK Italy um, so you could be forced as an SME to sign an agreement and paying for patents which you're ne not using and which you will never use. Now to me that seems rather unjust. I think that's very unfair for SMEs to be having to do that. Um, and again, because SMEs don't go to the courthouse to get a FRAND royalty that's determined by a court, they invariably have to sign these agreements which are not in their favour. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you. And I think that's, uh, yeah, there's definitely some developments to, to, to follow. So, so since these abuses are happening, um, does that mean the system isn't really working? Like, do you think the rules should be clarified? And are there ongoing policy developments in this space that, you know, our members should be watching? Yeah, sure. Um, we're doing quite a few things in the, in the EU. Um, to to try and help the situation. So for one, the 
the EU is doing a review of its competition rules. Uh, and in this, this specific case, it's the horizontal guidelines. And horizontal guidelines are, or horizontal agreements, I should say, these are, um, you know, when one company makes an agreement with another company on the same level, you could say, of the value chain. And this applies particularly to, st to, to standards setting. So in that situation, we really want the EU to make it clear that, that every company that would like a license should be able to get a license. And for the SMEs, for our members, this is a particularly useful thing because I know, I've spoken to people personally from companies, uh, chipset manufacturers, who would like to get a license so that they can indemnify basically their customers, but they're being denied licenses. So that's a particularly uh, important policy development for us, which we're monitoring very closely. In addition, we have um, some goings on in Germany. Germany is a very unique jurisdiction. They have a bifurcated system, which means that basically if you have a patent, the validity proceedings of that patent and the infringement proceedings of that patent are determined by two different courts. And there is very frequently a very long delay between the two. So it can be, you can go to court and be found to be infringing a patent uh, in the first instance, and then you find out six months later, oh, actually, that patent was invalid the entire time. So Germany is doing a reform at the moment to try and fix some of these issues. And an important thing that we're trying to promote there is that Germany should implement a principle of proportionality into patent proceedings. And this is something that's required by EU law and should be transposed into every jurisdiction of the EU. And Germany has been reticent to do this um, for, the, for the past, uh, well, almost two decades. So it's about time that Germany does it. And so we're, we're actively trying to, to help, that hap that help that happen. And then finally at the EU level, again, there's uh, an upcoming IP action plan. This is basically just a, a communication from the EU, from the Commission. And they're going to set out what they're going to do on the topic of intellectual property. And included within that package is something about standard essential patents. They want to make the system more transparent, particularly at the SDO level. This is the SDOs are standard development organizations. These are the people who go about creating the standards. Because there's a, a lot of, uh, you could say, shenanigans which go on there. And it's not entirely transparent. It's important in the EU as well because we have one of the most important standard development organizations. It's called ETSI. It's the European Telecommunications Standards Institute. These, this is the organization which created the GSM standard and then the UMTS standard uh, and now 5G standards as well. So it's a very, very important um, SDO. And so the, the commission wants to sort of clean up that, that system there. But, that, but that's great. Um, well, I mean, thank you very much, Alex. Um, this is uh, extremely interesting. And I, I hope that this uh, hopefully made this complex issue a little bit more accessible for our listeners. And maybe I want to mention as well that um, we are having two events uh, um, 
on these issues on um, on SAPs, one on the 10th of November and another one on the IP action plan that will be a bit later in December. The, the date still needs to be set. And um, you will have find all the information in our show notes. So thank you very much, Alex. No, thank you for having me. It was uh, great talking with you today. All right, it is time for our random identifier. Um, so, Anna, let's start with you. Okay, um, this is really <laughs> pretty random, not very important, um, but the new season of The Bachelorette starts next week, and yeah. I am maybe unreasonably excited for it. Maybe it is reasonable because there hasn't been any Bachelor content for more than, like, six months now, Right. Um, which I am missing that from my life. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, it's you know it's good mindless reality TV, which is important, especially right now especially where right the news now. are crazy every single day. Yeah, and so yeah, they filmed this whole season in quarantine, so I'm excited to see how that goes and to watch all the drama that will hopefully go on. Yeah, my roommate is like really into like yeah. Bachelor Bachelorette. I don't really watch, but he has informed me that this season is especially crazy. Because there's like a there's like a big thing that happens. Yeah, there's already like we already have some info on the drama that's gonna happen. I'm excited yeah. to see it play out. It makes up for the lack of drama in my own life. So like yeah. it's it's gonna be great. And I would highly recommend you watch it with your roommate Alex so that I have someone <laughs> to talk about it with at work. <laughs> Got it. All right. All right. Yeah, I have a confession. I actually don't know where it is. Oh really? <laughs> you don't know what the Bachelorette is? I, 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 yeah, I know. Like I mean, I've heard it, and I think. I'm not even sure we have it. That we do have. Yeah, I know they have, have a German like version of it, but I don't know if they have a Belgian version of it. Basically, no, it's this, it's a woman. She gets thirty males to choose her fiance from. That's yeah. the premise of the show, which sounds horrible. Yeah, but it's very entertaining. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, it has like this whole cult following too, and like yes. people take it really seriously and have podcasts about it, and like. Yeah. yeah, write books about it. Anyway, it's fascinating. It um, <laughs> um, Morgan, what about you? <laughs> yeah, mine sounds like it's going to be sound so much serious, but it is going to become like a, it's, it is becoming more random news. Um, <laughs> but our government, um, we have just had a new government in Belgium. After oh, yeah. Like nearly two years <laughs> of negotiation. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, like exactly, it was 493 days to negotiate this. We didn't wow. beat our previous records. So uh, just to put this in perspective, um, our last elections were in May 2019, and they wow. only agreed on the government, I think it was like 1st of October or something. And um, it's called the Vivaldi Co Coalition because it has seven parties, which uh, shows all the colors of all the seasons. Oh, <laughs> so, oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, that's my random thing. I don't know if I'm, I'm, I should be excited about it or just completely disillusioned by politics but yeah. <laughs> I think that's fair that seems like you're reacting the way that most people are reacting which is like I don't really know what to say yeah. <laughs> um well that's very interesting mine is very silly but it's you know um it's October um which means it's spooky season which is my favorite time of year I really <laughs> love fall things the colors in DC and like Rock Creek Park especially are really beautiful but also <laughs> like Halloween is my favorite holiday um and 
I this is like I feel like this is a gift that the pandemic has given me because people have really leaned into really silly things. And one of those things has been that Home Depot, which is like a big chain the here big in the skeleton. US. <laughs> yeah, they've created this 12 foot skeleton that people can display outside their homes, sort of in honor of Halloween. And it is wonderful. The content that has been generated on the internet about this 12 foot skeleton is really it matters to me (laughs) like it just brings me so much entertainment and it makes me laugh every time i see it um and i just think about how hilarious it would be to like wake up every morning and just like see a skeleton like just like in front of your house like that's so funny to me and i don't know why anyway have you seen one foot sorry oh i was have you seen one in the wild alex i haven't i my friend has though um so there's one in my neighborhood (gasps) and it is huge like I thought I knew what 12 foot was but like it is bigger than I thought it would be (laughs) yeah so so to answer your question Morgan like it's basically like the height of like a two-story home basically okay I think it's like I want to say it's like three meters but that might be wrong okay that's big yeah (laughs) it's like really big yeah like I so I live on the seventh floor of my apartment building and like I'm pretty sure I would I wouldn't be eye level with it, but like I would be maybe like just above the skeleton. So it's like it's taller than like the tallest tree in front of my house, Um, which seems crazy, but it's true. Um, And I just I'm obsessed with it. I think it's so funny. (laughs) And like the fact that it just like exists just like makes me a little bit happier. Um, So that's my that's (laughs) that's mine. (laughs) I love it. Are you going to dress up? For Halloween. Mm-hmm. No, we have a lot of kids in the building and they have said sort of like if you're willing to like wear masks and like have candy, then just like put a thing on your door. So I think we're going to do that. Okay. Um, but I'm not I mean, like we can't really go anywhere. Um, I do have Halloween pajamas, so that's probably what I'll wear <laughs> on Halloween. I mean, that's fitting for staying at home. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we have reached the end of Tech Swamp. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this EU edition. If you want further information, you can go to our website and our podcast page where we'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to be updated on all our latest podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on a daily basis on EU at Makers on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Until next time. Bye. Bye.